0: I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and how to identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. Today, 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the the Defenders defenders of of Business Value value podcast, podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now. On today's show, I needed to meet this guy about 35 years ago. His name's uh, Brian Clayton from GreenPal, And GreenPal, for those of you who don't know, but soon will, GreenPal is an online marketplace that connects homeowners with lawn care service providers. So, Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Oh, man, it it is exciting. I was telling you at the pre-show, I have a brother-in-law that's in the business, and so hopefully I can get you a client out of this.
1: Well, dude, that's what we're built for. We're built to help him and and we're built to help homeowners find and hire and schedule him.
0: Well, I gave, I gave a little bit of an overview of you and it'll be in the show notes, but can give us a kind of a a short version of how you got to Green Pal.
1: Yeah. Short version of a 20 year journey.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's never short for an entrepreneur, is it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So real, real like lightning round, uh, when I was 15 years old, I, I was a hot summer day and I was playing Super Mario Kart in my, in my room and my dad came in my room and said, hey, we got a job to do. We're gonna go mow the neighbor's yard. And he forced me to go cut the neighbor's grass. He and I mowed the yard together. And at the end of it, we got paid 20 bucks and we split the $20. And ever since then, I was just hooked on, hooked on being an entrepreneur, hooked on being a business owner. And I just took that little lawn mowing business and just ran with it. By the end of the summer, had like 10 or 12 lawn mowing customers in the neighborhood all through high school. I cut grass. And uh, by the time I was in college, I I had 10 employees did lawn mowing all through college as a way to pay for school. And by the time I graduated college, I was confronted with a decision. It's like, okay, am I going to fold and close up shop on this little lawn mowing business and then enter the job market and essentially take a pay cut? Or am I going to double down and try to make this into a real company? Uh, luckily, I took the ladder and, uh, and I decided, okay, I'll try to make a run for it and, and really make this a real business. And I, and I developed a little business plan. And by the time I was uh, two or three years later, 25 years old, I, I had 50 employees. And I had a real, real humming, running business that I was just growing the hard way through trial and error. And over a 15 year period of time, I grew that into a, a, one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee in excess of $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, uh, that company was acquired by one of the largest landscaping businesses in the United States. And so over a 15-year period of time, I, I grew that business from just myself and a push mower to over 150 people, $10 million a year in revenue, and all the way to the eventual exit, which, which almost never happens in that industry. And it's the only company of its kind in the state of Tennessee to ever be purchased in, in, that, in at that scale that was a a hell of a journey building a a traditional style of business from scratch. And after I sold it, I kind of retired for a little while. And then I, I got quite frankly, I got bored and I decided, okay, what's the next thing. And it, for me, it was just obvious that green pal needed to exist. I saw what technology was doing for ride sharing and what technology was doing for, for accommodations with like Airbnb. And I thought, okay, a marketplace needs to exist So people can find, schedule, and pay the best fit lawn care service in their neighborhood just at a touch of a button. And I recruited two co-founders, and we just started working on the project. It was excruciatingly hard, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, but we just kept at it. And now here we are seven years later, and over 200,000 people use the platform. And this year, we're going to do $20 million in revenue. Nice. So, so that's 20 years.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for the, the lightning round version. So, so when you look at, uh, your co-founders, I mean, what, what did they, I'm looking at your previous business model, you deploy deployed people and, and they perform the service. Now you've got, you know, and that's kind of where I was heading is what does GreenPal yeah. look like behind you pull the cart curtain? What does it look like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, to your point, I don't typically recommend people take on business partners uh, when starting a business because usually it doesn't go well, uh, especially, f- especially friends. And so m- most businesses you can, you can execute yourself and and, and hire uh, the right people you need to hire to help you get there. However, when when it comes to a tech startup, you're not just executing a known business. You're, you're literally inventing something new. And so you have to, it helps to have co-founders because you have to bring people with very different skill sets to the table somebody with a technology background somebody with a design background would be helpful somebody who has built tech products before and then somebody also who might have some domain industry experience in whatever it is problem you're trying to solve and so when when i was recruiting my two co-founders that's what i looked for was one people that i could trust and two people that, that brought some sort of skill set to the table that we would need to get us through the first three to five years. And I got lucky, honestly. The two people that I ended up going into business with were previously friends of mine, but also they were just hardworking individuals. They were they were just people that really wanted more out of life, wanted to build a successful company. And the three of us just got in a room and and literally worked our asses off for four years before really we got anything going. but that's what that's the road that's what we signed up for.
0: What did that those first 4 years look like? I mean, was it because you weren't getting traction or what what's really the tough. yeah, what's the iteration of of deploying the Uber of of lawn care?
1: Yeah, really 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 tough. We uh so the first summer uh summer of 2013, we knew enough to be dangerous, but we didn't know how to really develop software in, in the, to the scale that we would have to. So we paid a a uh, development shop in Nashville, hundred and eighty thousand dollars to build the first version. And this was our own money. To this day we haven't taken on any outside capital. This is our own money that we we cobbled together. And we paid this shop and we built the first version of what we thought GreenPal would be and we launched it and it was a total utter failure. I mean I think less than twelve people even tried it and we thought, okay, what do we do? Do do like the the software is hard to use. It's not doing what we it is, we, what the vision is. We don't really know how to fix it. What do we do? Well, we, saw, we thought, okay, well, first, let's even validate this is a good idea. At the time, we were reading a book called The Startup Owner's Manual by an author named Steve Blank. And one of the core concepts of that book is, you quote, get out of the building. And what that means is you have to get out from your desk, you have to get out of your office, you have to get out of the building, and you need to go talk to every one of your customers that will talk to you. For us, it was pretty easy. We only had like a dozen, but we talked and met with every single person that had tried the software and we tried to figure out, okay, were we solving a problem we're solving? Uh, Where did we delight you as a user? Where did we let you down? What do you wish the software would do? And we tried to glean from that, were we on the right track? Were we building? Were we actually solving a real problem or just a problem that we thought existed? And we were able to get enough validation just to keep moving forward. After that, we started, we we had to figure out, okay, we have to get more people to try this version of the software. How are we going to do that? And taking a page out of like my former playbook 15 years prior, we passed out door hangers, literally passed out flyers all over Nashville, Tennessee, 100,000 of these damn things. And uh, it took us a month. And we got several hundred people to try the software. And we just kept running the same cycle over and over again. Get people to use it. Talk to them. Get the feedback. Bake the feedback into the next version. So after doing that over and over again, and I think even like myself, I got bit by two dogs. We realized that ten customers per dog bite was not a scalable user acquisition strategy. So uh, we started to develop not only try to develop around the product and what the product did and, and how it how it delivered quotes quickly and how it made sure that the lawn mowing service provider would come on time when you hired them and how we made the payments work fl- seamlessly when a homeowner pushes to the pay their service provider. That actually happened reliably, like building the software to make that happen. But not only that, but building this, also building the software to grow the product, to distribute it. We knew we had to figure out ways to grow the product in a technological way and not by just passing out door hangers. So for us, uh, we get a lot of people through word of mouth, but we also get a lot of people just through Google search, organic traffic, you know, people that are searching for, I need a lawn mowing service nearby me. We have crafted our product in such a fashion to where we rank for those, those key phrases. And so that's how we get at least half of the people that try the platform even to this day.
0: The fascinating thing about your the platform is that it serves two people. It's, so it's serving right. it's serving the business owner but it's also serving the vendor. And exactly. you, you know this is a lot about this podcast is we talk about value and those guys that are out you know that have businesses as you think about creating value you're creating revenue and I I think one of the primary questions is how do I get paid? And how soon do I get paid? Because right. you know, as, as you know, working capital in that business is pretty intensive. Your guys want to get paid at the end of the day.
1: Very, these are very keen questions. And, and, and so where are you adding value and what is the intensity and thrust of your value proposition is something that even like, no matter where you're at in the stage of running a business, is something you always have to circle back to. It's a fundamental of just life of the principles of businesses. What is your value proposition? And is it intense? Is it not? Is it, is it growing? Is it getting better, stronger, or, or is it getting weaker? For us, to your point, we have two sets of value propositions. So we have to have a strong value prop to the vendor side, the, the lawn mowing service professional side, and also the homeowner side, the, the man side. And we have to orchestrate a delicate balance between the two because a lot of times the things that each side of that transaction that they want don't necessarily align. So we have to to try on air, figure out what is the striking a good balance and how do we orchestrate this delicate balance so both sides of that transaction get value. And also that our platform is bringing enough value to where we can extract a small piece of, of the transaction as a fee to run the platform. So this makes running a marketplace like this very complex. Not only that, but it's never been done before. And so you're trying to have to invent it as you're going. And, and the only way to figure out your way through the, the darkness is just through trial and error. So that was one thing that took us a long time, several years to figure out, okay, how do we strike this balance between adding value to the service provider and also to the homeowner? Well, to your point, getting paid on time and quickly is a big part of the value proposition for our service providers. Because a lot of times in a traditional like business context, They'll have to come out and mow a client's yard all month long, mail them a paper invoice at the end of the month, hope that that person like mails them a check or Venmo's them or PayPal's them or, or Cash App or however they like to pay, and then they have to keep track of who paid me, who didn't, and then and then a lot of times the lawn mowing guy is at the bottom of the stack of bills to get paid, and so and so this is a big part of our value prop to to vendors is that okay when you go out and mow Mrs Smith's yard you upload a picture of that completed work and in 24 hours you get paid. And that's a big part of the headache that we saw for service providers to make their life easier to where they can just focus on doing a good job, actually making Mrs. Smith's yard look good. They don't have to worry about is she going to pay me in 30, 45, 60 days. So that's, that's to your point. That is a big part of our value proposition to, to vendors. And then, you know, to homeowners, it's when I hire this lawn mowing service professional, they will show up on the day they're supposed to like, believe it or not, that's a problem. I when we it's one that we didn't really understand until we got into this uh, building. This thing was that there's a mysterious like case of the disappearing lawn guy. That's a problem we solve. <laughs> like, like we make sure that they show up. It's almost like the platform is their boss in their pocket. And it makes sure they show up on time and they do the things they're supposed to be doing to run a successful business.
0: Is there any vetting that goes on to the service providers or is it you can sign up and, you know, the market will dictate whether or not you're going to stay on the platform or not?
1: Yeah, great, great question. That's when you're building a marketplace, that's always tough. You have to figure out, the again, the balance of, OK, do I do like a ton of vetting and then I have like a, a shallow supply pool or do i do none it's the wild west and let like the invisible hand of the market like decide who sucks and who's good and for us it's somewhere in the middle we do vet these these guys and gals on the front end in terms of we make sure they have proper equipment we make sure they have a few customer references there is a bank check and a credit check done on them to make sure that their business is in stable condition and then we bet that they have a good social security number so we vet that they're an actual human being and that they they're legitimately in the business and that they that they are operating in the lawn mowing business because it's not like Uber where any any person that can this operate a motor vehicle can be a supplier. You actually have to have like a minimum threshold of equipment and experience to run a lawn mowing business. You don't want just any person with a push mower showing up to come cut your grass. That's not a good experience. So, we do vet them to a degree on the front end, but then, like, the mechanics of the marketplace govern and dictate a lot of who's successful and who is sidelined. So, things like, do you show up on the day you're supposed to? What is your, we we have a thing called a reliability rating, which is we score them, service providers, based on what, how often they show up on the day they're supposed to. And it's just a percentage. They show up 78% of the time. And then that is something that informs homeowners on, okay, I really need it done tomorrow for my my dinner party. This vendor shows up 63% of the time, but this one shows up 98% of the time. I'm going to hire them. It's pulling in like the activity in the platform and measuring that and benchmarking it to govern. Okay, these are the guys and gals that we promote and these are the ones we sideline.
0: I got it. So it's funny you say that. So one of my neighbors one of the neighbor kids was trying to cut their lawn and the woman's like the problem with hiring high school kids is that it's great to support them, but the reliability is the problem. So yeah, you right. saw, so, yeah, you solve that.
1: Right. And it's something that we, when we first, so this is one of the things that I, about getting out of the building and talking to your users. When we first launched I came to the equation with 15 years of experience and, and from the, from the vendor side. And one of the things when you run a lawn mowing business is you always complain about the competition and you always complain about how it's a cutthroat business. And you always complain about how homeowners just want to find the cheapest person to do it. And that's the attitude and like the paradigm that I approached the uh, building green Pal with. it's like, oh man, these homeowners just want somebody cheap. And that's what we do. We develop, we build the the cheapest way you can find a grass cutting service because you're going to get five competitive quotes so you can hire the cheapest one. That is the frame that I came to building the company with. What I came to realize after meeting and talking face to face with hundreds of users is that that's not what they wanted. They wanted somebody to show up on the damn day they were supposed to. They wanted somebody reliable. We weren't building the cheapest solution. We were building the most reliable, fastest way to find a grass cutting service at a fair price. And to this day, that's the thrust of the value proposition for homeowners. It's push a button, hire a great lawn mowing service at a a good fair price and who will actually show up even if your grass is four feet tall.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that. It's funny you say that because, and I think your business and a lot of businesses I don't say like that, but let's just say like that for sake of for sake of discussion. This is about time. My time. I don't want to chase people. I want this done. When I hit the button, someone's going to do what I need them to do. And I don't don't have to, to spend my time trying to track it down.
1: We sell time at the end of the day. And many businesses are in the business of selling time. They just don't know it. We sell time in, in a sense of you're not actually having to cut your yard, but also, like you said, you're not going to have to hassle this, this person to show up and, and do what they're supposed to do.
0: No, totally. I have a a painter I'm fighting with right now. I have reached out to this guy two or three times. He did a great job on my house, and I'm doing my best to help him earn some more money. It is an absolute train wreck on why this is so difficult. Um,
1: It's it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it
0: it is. Since you have an online business now, I mean, because that's how you view it, right? Yeah, I mean, this is an online company.
1: Absolutely. It's a digital, 100% online business and making the transition from a blue collar entrepreneur to a tech one, it was tough.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that because, and that was one of the things I was going to ask you is, you know, so you brought in some partners and you said, yeah, right, you yeah, know, I, I trust these guys, but at the same time, you're in the deep end of the pool. You know, you don't know right. the tech side of things, and and I think that's a, a one of the the challenges that a lot of people face is. Your value is, look, I've been a practitioner for 15 years. I know right. I know how this program works, and I need to entrust you to make this work in the computer world or the Internet world or whatever you want to call it. To me, I see that was probably your greatest risk. Even though they were friends, you couldn't defend yourself because you didn't know enough about it. Is that is that fair to yeah. say?
1: Great, great, great question, because that's exactly what I went through. And I came to the realization it's like okay bud if you have dreams of of building a tech startup you're going to have to learn to a degree how to build software and I was just so resistant to it because that's not the way my brain is wired but when you're delegating something you have to be able to like delegate it from a position of stewardship, not one of education so what I mean by that is like education is is like Ooh, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to do it. It sucks. It's hard. You handle it. It's not a good position to delegate anything from. But if you can delegate it from a, from a standpoint of stewardship, it's like, hey, I've been doing this for the last six months or a year. This is my process and my recipe for how it works and how we do it here. I need for you to follow this process that I have laid out for you. And you de- delegate from a standpoint of stewardship. It's a much more likely uh, good outcome, and so for me, I had to like get in the trenches and learn how to write software. I didn't want to, but I forced myself. I went to a boot camp and learned how to do code, and and I'm still a crappy programmer, but I learned enough to be dangerous and to also just be able to delegate from stewardship and not from abdication, and also be able to call bullshit when somebody is was blowing smoke and and telling me that something wasn't possible. It's like, no, actually it is. I know because I've I've looked at this thing and I understand that this is how it works and we actually can do that. So no, go back to the drawing board and pull it off. Being able to like know enough to be dangerous and and actually have done some of the things that that need to be done, I think are almost table stakes when it comes to, to building any business, particularly a tech one.
0: So how did it translate into this one? I mean, I know you're the practitioner, but there's more secret sauce than just being the practitioner. What did you bring from the first business into the second one?
1: Beyond Yeah, yeah, man. Pushing? That's that's a good that's a good question. A lot of people talk to me and say, ah, well, you know, you had 15 years experience in lawn mowing, so you that was your silver bullet, your secret sauce. And no wonder you're successful because you knew the business from the inside out. Part of that is true, but it's not Uh, It wasn't just the thing that just solved all of our problems. A lot of times when you're in a tech startup and you are inventing something that has never been done, you're always at a loss and you're always wondering is if you're even building something worthwhile and if you're solving problems. That was never really a problem for us because I did spend 15 years in the industry. I, I did see firsthand how difficult it was for a small service provider to run their business and also how difficult it was for just a a homeowner wanting a basic lawn mowing every week or every two weeks to find and hire them. I saw these problems manifest on a daily basis. Matter of fact, running that business, as it grew, we no longer did residential lawn mowing. It just wasn't profitable for us. As the business grew, we attacked more of the commercial sector. We would do apartment complexes, office parks, malls, hospitals, things of that sort, big $100,000 million contracts. And so a homeowner calling our office and saying, hey, I need you to come cut my grass Thursday for $35 (laughs) really just wasn't something we can mobilize our machine to go do and make a profit on. And so what we would do is one of the values that we ran that business by was to always be helpful no matter what. And even to this day, it's just something that, like an ethos I run my, my life by. It's like to always be helpful if you can be. And even if that person can't do anything else for you, always try to be helpful. And so we would maintain a list of 20 or 30 small lawn mowing services by the phone. My, my office manager would keep it by the phone. And so if somebody would call us like, hey, you know, I see your trucks all over town. Can you come cut my grass Friday at three o'clock for, for $27? And we would say, well, no, we're not a good fit for that. Thank you for calling us, but uh, we actually don't offer that service. But here are five names and numbers for smaller providers that do. And a lot of times people would be appreciative and they would that would solve their problem. But what was funny is a lot of times they would call back and they would say, I called and left voicemails for five of those people. Nobody called me back. And so it's like, then you get into this thing of like, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and we, we would deal with this phenomenon all the damn time of trying to be helpful, but like even, even they would like dial for dollars and pull all of these people and still nobody would call them back. So I saw this happen all the time. And I just knew that, okay, these are problems that exist. I'm coming to the table with, with knowledge that software can solve some problems and make some of this stuff easier. That did help. Increase the odds of our success. However, on the flip side of the coin is I didn't know how to build software. I had never tried anything like this before. I didn't know how to build a marketplace. I didn't know how to distribute this sort of thing. So all of those things took a long, long ramp to learn and, and figure out how to do.
0: So what could you have done to accelerate that? Or are you glad that it did that you didn't? Because being able to go slow and deliver was a heck of a be- lot better than the rapid fire mistakes in building it that way?
1: Good, good questions to ask. So a lot, so what could have helped it uh, go faster? Uh, Honestly, trying and failing on something like this three times. If you have built software before and tried to go swing for the fences before and and just like crash into the ground over a two or three year
0: arc,
1: (laughs) you have knowledge that will help you do it better the second time. And matter of fact, you know, we read in the, in, in the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or like in the tech press, like so-and-so company raises $100 million or so-and-so tech startup just sold for half a billion dollars. And you're like, holy crap, that company's only four years old. How did they do that? Well, a lot of times we don't realize it's like that founder, that startup team is like on their second or third try. They, they have crashed and burned two or three times before this one. That is something that could have saved my team and I years. Had we attempted to do something of this sort and failed, we probably could have shaved two or three years off of the process. But I don't know that there's a way to short circuit it.
0: So you have first movers advantage. You're the first guy and everybody's gunning for you. How do you stay out in front?
1: It's one of those things like you watch the battle as it unfolded, like the Uber and Lyft battle, right? Like Those two companies just threw billions of dollars at at this thing. And what was, what was amazing. One time I read uh, that one of Uber competitive advantages was a cost of capital competitive advantage. And what that meant was that they could raise money cheaper than Lyft was therefore they would, they could beat Lyft. I'm like, golly man, like, like that's how, that's, that's how intricate these, these fights become. It's like, that's their competitive advantage. They can raise money cheaper for us. Isn't it insane? Like for us, yeah, there there, there was and still is a competitive aspect to building this marketplace and becoming like the Uber for lawn mowing to build the button that you push to get your grass cut. There's two or three other startups that are similarly oriented to us. But the reality is all of our competition is just the status quo. It's people that don't think to go to Google or go to a digital means to download an app to get this done they're still conditioned to thinking they have to call 20 people and leave 20 voicemails and meet somebody out in their front yard and haggle over the price and then get it done and then mail them a check or leave cash under the doormat or Venmo and then who pays the Venmo fee and all of this crap people are still conditioned to doing it that way and so that is still the competition for us is is like that status quo. Yeah. Of, of conditioning the masses to do it the easy way. And until like green pal is in like the lexicon of the English language. And, and you know, when you say, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'll meet you there. I'll Uber there until somebody says like, Oh, let me uh, get a green pal to get the grass cut. We're not going to be done.
0: Yeah. I get it. so I've done a fair amount of work in the landscape industry as far as just helping price position and, and subsequently sell companies like that. A lot of people, it seems these days are looking for bolt-on acquisitions that not necessarily for you, but I, I'm curious to know whether or not you think about you know the peripheral services, you know the topical stuff, you know the fertilizing, you know we're seeing uh, people with the dog waste picking that up as part of, you know, an all-in-one service. As you look at your business, I mean, do you think about that or is it more like, you know what, I'm going to do what we're great at and I'm not going to diversify? Because I I imagine that's a real hard question to answer for you
1: for any business. It's a a tough balance because I don't think there's not, there's not like one simple answer, go wide or go deep. I think it, it depends on what your strategy is and what your focus is. For us, because we're self-funded and we're bootstrapped, we're like constrained to focus on being the best in the world at one thing. We are the best, easiest, fastest, cost-effective solution to get somebody to do a basic grass cutting service for you. Now, after that lawn mowing goes well, and, and, let's, and then you hire them for the rest of the lawn mowing season on your GreenPow app. Then there are other options to add on after the fact. You can get mulching done, trimming done, seed, fertilizer, gutter cleaning, snow removal. It unlocks all of these ancillary services that go into needing to get your yard maintenance taken care of. But we don't offer all of those things on the front end because when somebody gets to our app or our landing page on our website, we need for them to be able to understand in three seconds what green palette is and what it can do for them. And literally get signed up in less than a minute. That's that relentless focus on one simple thing is why we are where we are. It's because it just makes sense to the person who, who has the problem that we saw. And, you know, you look at big companies that are at scale uh, like people in the travel space, like Expedia or Travel or trip advisor, and like you can get on those websites and do a million different things or, or Airbnb or, or even like a home advisor or something. But, You look at those businesses, those businesses are multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar companies that are at scale. As a startup, you have to focus on one use case, one thing, and literally do it better than anybody else in the world. And that's a strategy that works for us. The going deep strategy on one problem and just doing it better is what our strategy is.
0: So is GreenPal a grow and hold forever, or is it a build to sell kind of situation that, you know, I'm going to build it to 100 million, 200 million? And then I'll, then, I'll, yeah. then I'll think about it.
1: Great question. We, we're in year uh, six or seven right now. It just depends on when you, when you started the clock. So for us, it's, we're profitable. We're making money. We invest the profits back into the business to grow it. It's working. We get acquisition interest quite regularly from people in the lawn mowing. Like, what's interesting is like people that manufacture lawn mowing equipment uh, are interested in buying our platform uh, because they right, sure. they can, can, po- totally they can position it. themselves in the platform. Right. And, and so we do get interest, but for us, it's not something we're entertaining right now no, no. because no, no. we, we just, we have so much more land to conquer yeah. that, no that intended. we're just going to keep at it, keep at it for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah. No pun intended.
1: Uh, <laughs> land,
0: land to conquer. You know, the funny thing is, it seems as though, like you were saying, after you have an exit and you kind of rebalance yourself. You were young when you exited. So now you're sitting here saying, well, I've done one thing. Now the question is, you know, when you translate to your next endeavor and in your case, Pal, it's like, all right, is this going to be my legacy? And that's what I was Mm -hmm. referring to is some people are like, you know, this is an investment like any other investment and I'm not going to be romantic about it. And others are, you know, this is my identity. And so that, that was the, that was the background behind the question.
1: Great question because my first business was very much that it was, you know, I had a hundred some odd people working for me that those people were my family. I loved them. They, one person, one person named like their first child after me. Like, I mean, I'm literally like, dude, this, this, like running that business was like my family. And when I sold that company, I, I shed tears because it was, it was like I lost my identity of who I, who I was. It was a very people oriented business. Green pal is still Uh, like a big part of my identity who I am is something that like I'm most proud of, but to a degree, because it's technology based, it's less hand to hand combat. It's less so emotional to that degree. Yeah. It's the the day, uh, the day we sell it will be an emotional day, but that first one really, really, really hurt because of that. So I think it might just be like the blue collar verse uh, uh, journey versus the tech journey. The tech might be more uh, divorced from that just because of the nature of it. But still, like my, for me, like my businesses are the thing that causes me to level up, to grow, to keep pushing forward, keep, uh, to keep getting better and better and better. And if I don't have a business that, that causes me to do that, then I get stagnant and I don't like being stagnant. So I had to learn that after selling the first company was that, that I'm very much of a thing that causes me joy is growth and prosperity and getting stuff done. And my business is the vehicle for that.
0: So along those same lines, so where do you see this industry going? Not only GreenPal, but just you're, you're in a, a niche of the tech world. Again, you're saving people time. Where do you see this industry going?
1: I think we're in day one, minute one of day one of what you're going to be doing online and, and particularly in marketplaces. There's this minute one, day one of marketplaces to get stuff done. So whether it be a marketplace to get a dog walker right now, there's a, there's a great marketplace called Rover. That's a, that, that you can jump on and get somebody to walk your dog. Like that's just a, a and that's just a, that's a marketplace tech product focused on that one thing, push a button, get somebody to walk your
0: dog. You haven't met my dog. You're going, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that'll, that'll only be once.
1: <laughs> I think, I think we're going to start seeing, way more of these traditional analog business transactions, particularly when it comes to services, get ported online and get done in a, in a more efficient manner. And we're part of that in a very, very, very small way, bringing online things that are happening offline, not for the sake of just doing it, but because doing it this way makes it run smoother, makes it get done right the first time, makes it run easier for everybody and saves everybody time and money. That's why we do what we do.
0: From the outside looking in, and in my research for our interview, it kind of compiles your Facebook, your Home Advisor, your Nextdoor app. You know, when those people are asking for who do you know, this kind of consolidates all of your questions into one app. It's right, in, at it's least the, from my standpoint. One,
1: for this one simple chore, a lot of people need to get done, and that goes back to the going wide, going versus going deep thing. You can go to. Facebook, Angie's List, Home Advisor, Thumbtack, Craigslist, and you can get a list, a name, and list of named numbers for people that claim to mow yards. But you're still going to have to dial for dollars. You're still going to have to pull all of these service providers, leave voicemails, and negotiate price with all of them. Our app and platform handles all of that in less than a minute. And so that's for us part of our, our strategy: is going deep on this one chore this one thing and just make it as easy as magic and this letting people use it and move on with their life. That's what we do.
0: I get you. I really appreciate you going past our, our time. So got a couple more things I wanted to ask you. I ask every one of our, our the people I interview, uh, if you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners, which are business owners and their advisors that would have the most immediate impact on their business, what would it be?
1: For people just getting started, the one piece of advice would be to do things that don't scale. So a lot of times you get into this idea you're going to start this business and you want to like just do it all from behind the scenes and you want to like just like build the thing to make it run on autopilot and you want to do the the glamorous stuff. But the reality is, when you first get started, you're going to have to do things that don't scale. And this was one of the things that was humbling for me. You know, I'm coming off of an exit ten million dollar business didn't do residential lawn mowing anymore. And now I built this app and I'm like, hey, will you try it for your grass cutting, please? You know, like that was very humbling. And like going through the motions of passing out flyers to get people to use it, like something we had to do. And then, you know, even a year, two years later, as we're building the software, I'm still trying to figure out how do we build a user experience that people will want to use? And one thing I did was I drove for Uber, drove for Lyft. Postmates, DoorDash, i walked dogs on, on Rover and, and Wag, I cleaned houses on Homejoy, I did handyman crap on uh, TaskRabbit, and I did that because I wanted to see how these, these companies were architecting their workflows and how they were using technology to solve problems in the real world. And so that was something that didn't scale that I did that then like unlocked all kinds of key learnings on how we were approaching our, what we were doing. So that would be a piece of advice for people getting started, like the first two or three years, do things that don't scale and then figure out ways to automate those
0: things. So what's the best way we can connect with you?
1: The best way to get at me is email, uh, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at yourgreenpal.com. Shoot me an email. I love helping other business owners and entrepreneurs. If you, if you email me, just kind of put me on second or third base with what uh, your business is and what your what your situation is and what question you have, and I'll be glad to help you in any way I can. I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I I have gutted it out building two businesses from scratch. So if I can help you, I will.
0: Well, for those of us that have grass and those of us that have brother-in-laws that are in the business, how about that? Where do homeowners get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, heck yeah. Just download GreenPal in the App Store or the Google Play Store, or just go to yourgreenpal.com. Any of those ways you can, if you need your grass cut, you sign up in less than a minute, and you'll get quotes from lawn mowing services nearby you that you can hire at a touch of a button. If you're in the lawn mowing business or you're thinking about getting into it, Green Pal can help you make $100,000 in your first year.
0: Right on. Well, Brian, hey man, I'm so grateful for the time that you spent with us and and the experiences that you help business owners maximize their value. For all of you listening, we're grateful for the time that you spent with Brian and I. And to learn more about Brian, like he said, go to to, uh, yourgreenpal.com, sign up today. And if he can uh, help you, I'll have everything in the show notes for your convenience. And Brian, I'm so grateful. Thanks for spending some time with me. And I sure enjoyed learning more about you, your business, your journey again. And we'll be down in Tennessee this fall. So uh, hopefully COVID will stay clear and and we'll uh, get to enjoy your uh, great state.
1: Right on. Thanks for having me
0: on. All right, buddy. Thank you.
1: This was another episode of the
0: Defenders of
1: Business Value podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.